as the offering uh, is being taken, I would invite you to turn in your copies. Go ahead. Turn in your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. going to do this morning is we're going to look at the end of chapter 10 and we're going to compare it with a portion from Ecclesiastes 9. This is one of those places in Ecclesiastes where if you're reading somewhat carefully what you will see is Solomon say one thing and then seemingly say the exact opposite by saying the same thing. It's what makes wisdom literature so fun. The title this morning is, How Do You Approach Bread and Wine? Now, we could have just as well entitled this, How Do You Approach the Material World? But given that it's a communion Sunday, and given that bread and wine are mentioned in both texts, I want you to think about how you approach, not just the material world in general, but how do you approach bread and wine in this life? I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes 10, 16 through 20, and then I'm going to read from chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would grant us not only the ears to hear your word this morning, but the wisdom to discern what you have to tell us about how we think and approach the material world that you have made. Father, help us to be willing to listen. Help us to be willing to consider what you have to say. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
time and chance happen to us all. Life in a cursed world is a life in which there are many things that will not make sense. There are many things that will aggravate us. There are many things that will frustrate us. And within this cursed, fallen world, we can either live according to wisdom or we can live according to folly. Here in chapter 10, we have been looking at some of the ways that Solomon has been describing and applying this notion of folly, this notion of foolishness, this notion that there are people in this world, that there are people who are saved in Christ who are foolish and who can act like fools, even though They are remade in the image of Jesus Christ. In general, what he has told us is that life, even in a cursed world, still has the goodness of God in it, and we can still enjoy these things according to his original purpose. But it is wisdom that helps us to do that. It is folly that will get in our way. Wisdom helps us navigate our way through life under the sun, whereas folly will sour and destroy. That's what we have been looking at. And in general, what we have said here is that folly is loud and brash. It it draws lots of attention to itself, but wisdom is quiet and it is subtle. Folly is self-serving while wisdom serves others. Folly puts undue attention on outward things. Wisdom looks inward. Folly is often celebrated. Wisdom is often not appreciated, even when it's proven to be right. Folly is often seen in impulsive disobedience, self-centered arrogance, and rash disregard for God, for his truth, for the way he has structured and arranged his world. And what we looked at last week is this uh, this folly that we see in general is a folly that is most often seen uh, most easily and expressed most readily in our words, in the way that we talk in the things that we say. That the folly that is self-serving will use words for the self. The folly that can sour is a folly that is quite often heard in words. The folly that destroys is often a folly that is heard in what is said. Words of folly bring defeat on the fool. And also, everyone who is around the fool, who is associated with the fool, who is connected with the fool, who is doing things in conjunction with the fool. 
folly doesn't just affect the self, it affects the self and those around him or around her. Words of folly swallow up the fool, he said. Words of folly steal life. They consume the life out of those who are hearing those words, as opposed to words of wisdom, he said, which give grace. Words of wisdom give life. Words of wisdom express life. Words of wisdom express and give grace. Words of wisdom express the presence and power of God, not only in the one who is saying them, but becomes that expression to those who are hearing them. Words of folly consume. Words of wisdom give life. Words of folly not only steal life, but they lead into a downward spiral into further foolishness and into sin especially with regards, he told us, of leading us into a stubborn assurance that we know how the world works. We know what is going on around us. We are the authority that can address our, our circumstances. We are the ones who have the truth. And everyone needs to put their confidence and their trust in us. We will get you through. The fool says, I have this insight. I know what's going to happen in the future. And so let me lead you along the way. And those who participate in someone who thinks and has a lot of self-assurance that they know the future, guess what? What has God said? Not only they don't know it, they can't know it. They're claiming to have knowledge on something that it's impossible for them to know. And so why would you follow someone that claims to have knowledge that's impossible for them to have in the first place? You know, don't hang out and sit around and wait to see if they're right. They're wrong. Now, do some people get lucky? <laughs> well, or whatever word you want to use for lucky. Luck is just a way of being right apart from knowledge. And we can get into epistemology later over coffee if you want to, but you see and you hear this folly in these expressions of words. We also see them in the way people approach the material world. The folly that is self-serving views the material world as ends to fulfill their own profit and appetites. Folly uses words in a self-serving way to have control over people, to have influence over people. It's self-serving, where they will use their words to to exercise power over you, whether that is a power that they're using to get you to go along with them or a power that they're using to put you in, their, in what they think is your place, where they will escalate in order to make sure that they are keeping you in check 
So they'll use those words to, to draw you into their schemes. They'll use those words to pummel you if you're not participating. Right? So that's the way that words become the, that, that way of stealing life instead of giving grace. And beloved, the same thing happens with our approach to the material world. We view our time, we view our treasures, we view our talents, either as ends or as means. The fool, in his self-serving perspective, sees the material world as, as an end to fulfill his own profit and his own appetite. It is like the young ruler that gets up in the morning and first thing starts feasting. That's foolish. And not only is this souring and destructive for the, the young ruler who does this, it also is destructive for whom? Everyone that he represents. Woe to the nation whose rulers get up and the first thing they do is they start partying down. It's immature and it's irresponsible. That, that is very true, but notice the way that he describes what they are doing. They are using things like money. They are using things like time. They are using things like food. They are using things like drink. They are using these things as a way for them to get something. They're using them as a way for them to delight themselves in the pleasures of a momentary situation. They're using these things as, as a way for, for them to fill their appetites. Notice the descriptive language that is used here. Bread and wine and money. If I just get enough bread, if I just get enough wine, if I just get enough money. And so their life becomes surrounded or it, comes, it becomes centered on getting these things because this is what I got to have in order to have delight, to experience pleasure to exercise power. What we see here is that they use matter, they use the material world for wrong purposes. Now, is the feasting wrong? No. What's wrong is to do the feasting first thing in the morning prior to doing the feasting at its appropriate time. The problem with the feasting, he says here, is why they are feasting. Why are they feasting? Well, for drunkenness. Why are they feasting? For excess. Why are, are, are they accumulating bread and wine and money? For excess. For themselves. So that they can have greater amounts of pleasure. So that they can have greater amounts of power. They are accumulating these things 
because they see them as being this, this ultimate end that they want. But the problem here in using matter for wrong purposes, in using matter in the wrong ways. The problem here is not the materials. The problem here is not the bread. Now, most of us go, well, of course not. It's not bread. The problem here is not the wine. Oh, well, hold up. Now let's go from preaching to meddling. The problem here is not money. Right? The sin here is not money. Jesus tells us the, the sin that comes with money. It is the love of money. It is accumulating that money because it gives us power. Because it gives us prestige. Because we think if I have money... I have, what does it say here in the text? Everything. This is an attitude that in dealing with the ongoing curse that exists in life under the sun, if I just have bread, if I just have wine, if I just have money, then I've got everything. Money solves all problems. That is is the attitude that is the perspective of a fool, Solomon tells us. Because guess what money won't do? It won't stop your coming death. Money will not overcome the curse. And the curse against sin is going to reach its full expression because the sovereign God who has issued that curse will make sure that it achieves its purpose. To say that money provides the answer for, for dealing with the curse in this world is like saying if I just have enough money, then I can get God to do what I want instead of me having to be accountable to him. The problem here, beloved, is the attitude. The problem is the perspective. The problem is seeing material for something that it's not meant to be and seeing material for something that it's not meant to do. This is what Paul tells us in Romans 1 is the idolatry of a heart that is foolish. In thinking that the material world that God has made is something for me to use for myself when what he says is the material world is something that God has made as an expression of himself to us. And this is why, beloved, the sin here, the problem here, the folly here is not in the bread or in the wine or in the money. The folly 
is a problem of the heart, Solomon tells us. The folly is in using material for something that it can't do, something it was not designed to be. The material world and the blessings that we have around us, like bread and wine and money, were never meant to be ways for us to accumulate our own power and to build up our own kingdoms. They were always meant to be a tangible expression of God's presence, God's power, God's purposes. Tangible expressions. So that as Adam and Eve were placed into this beautiful garden, the beauty of that garden was an expression of God's beauty and their beholding that beauty was to be a means by which they would go through the beauty of the created world to the beauty of the creator. As they would eat the food and taste the goodness of, of all the fruit of all those trees that were made for them, that as they would delight in the eating of that food, through the, through the food they would come to delight in the goodness and in the beauty of the one who gave that fruit and who made that fruit to be an expression of his goodness you see how this is working the problem here in the folly of, of approaching the material world as an end by which we gain profit and satisfy our appetites what that does is it changes the material world from being a means to something to becoming an end in and of itself and so what wisdom does is it approaches the material world as it is meant to be approached. What wisdom does is wisdom doesn't blame the material world for the sin of my heart. Wisdom doesn't say, well, well if, if, I, if we could just, you know, change people so that they didn't want bread. If we could just make it so that people didn't want wine. If we could just make it so that people didn't want money. That that would become the answer. That's foolishness and that's folly because the sin is not in the material. Right? It's an, here's, a, here's an easy way, right? Is it the gun? I know I'm preaching to the choir on this point. But look, extrapolate that out. It's not the gun. It's the one who, you, who wields it. It's not the bread. It's the one who eats it. It's not the wine. It's the one who drinks it to excess. It's not the money. Folly is the problem. Wisdom doesn't blame the, blame the material world for the failure and idolatry of my own heart. Wisdom does not blame the material world for man's abuses. 
The wise sees the material world as means to enjoy God and his original purposes, even in a cursed world. And that is why Solomon can say there is a problem here when people are using material blessings like bread, wine, and money the wrong ways for the wrong purposes. That's folly. That's foolishness. And yet the chapter just before, he said, guess what? Eat the bread and drink the wine and make money from your vocation. Enjoy your wife. Enjoy the clothes that God gives. Make sure there's oil on the head. Make sure there are breath mints for the mouth. There is nothing wrong with the material blessings. And God even points us to the material blessings and says, eat and drink and make money. As long as you are eating and drinking and making that money as a way of experiencing me and as a way of delighting yourself in me and as a way of reorganizing and reprioritizing your life in the use of your time and your treasures and your talents around me. So that, yes, make money, and then use that money to promote the kingdom of God around this world. Yes, make money, and use that money to feed people who don't have money. Yes, accumulate bread and invite people to your homes to enjoy that bread with you as a celebration that this bread has come from God and that as we enjoy this together, we are enjoying God together. The problem is not the material world. The problem is the way that we approach the material world. And wisdom doesn't blame the material world for man's abuses. Wisdom does not see the material world as an end. Wisdom sees the material world as a means, a means to experience God and his purposes, a means to know God and his purposes, a means to enjoy God and his purposes even in a cursed world. Because remember what Solomon has been saying all the way. Wisdom embraces the mysterious sovereignty of God who recognizes that the God who made and the God who redeems is the God who is in control and he doesn't tell us all the details of what he's doing or why. But he has assured us of this mysterious providence and of the mystery of his sovereignty, even in the wisdom of the cross, where the mysterious sovereignty of God does not put weight on who is fastest or who is strongest or who is smartest, but where God caused his wisdom to be embodied in his son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived wisely and who in that wisdom at time enjoyed great meals with people and drank wine with people and had a great time. We're at a, at a party 
they needed more wine, so he made some out of water. Where Jesus, we see as you, as you, as one New Testament scholar has said, as you eat your way through the Gospels, you read the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and he seems to go from one meal and one party to the next, but who also described himself as the one who had nothing, didn't even have a place to lay his head, because his trust in the mysterious sovereignty of his God led him to rely on God and to approach the material world as God intended. And as God would give, he would enjoy. And if God did not give, he still enjoyed. He still trusted. He still served. Because he knew that the material world was not an end in itself. It was a means to an end. And so Jesus, in which we find God overcoming the folly of our hearts and the idolatry of our hearts, showed us that the problem is not immaterial as he caused his son to take on flesh. And where Jesus, in the real flesh in which he was born and lived and served, never sinned. And that when he was crucified in the, on the cross, his body was pierced. Where his body died. Where his body was laid in a grave. And yet to where he was raised to a new body. Where God is redeeming his material world as that redemption has begun in his son. Beloved, you and I have a future inheritance in Christ, and it is not ethereal. It is not simply spiritual. It is real. It is tangible. And the hope of Miss Judy, even as her current cursed body is dying under the weight of that curse, is transitioning through this life to the life to come because of the hope of the new body that is waiting for her because of Christ and his resurrection from the dead. So, beloved, the wisdom of the cross approaches the material world as it is meant to be approached. It has been created by God as an expression of his goodness, as an expression of his mysterious power and presence, even in the world that he has made, through which we can know him, through which we can experience him, through which we can enjoy him. And wisdom embraces the material world in that way. Where even bread and wine can be more than simple expressions of God's goodness. They can be means of his grace. As we come before the supper this morning, how do you approach the material world how do you approach your money? How do you approach bread and wine? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, embracing the mystery of your providence is so difficult. It requires us to relinquish our own control 
and to embrace what you have provided to us, revealing yourself in word and truth, revealing yourself in your Son, Jesus Christ, revealing yourself even in something like bread and wine and money. And so, Lord, we ask for the faith that will help us to approach the material world as you have designed it to be approached, whether it is in approaching your beneficence and common grace, or if it is approaching the communion table before us today, where what looks like simple bread and a simple cup are nothing less than expressions of the heavenly bread Expressions of the eternal blood. Expressions of your Son, our Savior, crucified and raised again. Where the hope that we have for our salvation is not simply forgiveness of sin, but it is life everlasting in an embodied world that will not be cursed but will only know the eschatological blessings of your presence and glory forevermore. And so feed us with that today so that our faith may be nourished by what is eternal even as it eats simple bread and drinks a simple cup. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.